Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. Dog meat. Unfortunately, we're gonna have to begin today with a bit of of <laughs> you know. <laughs> what are we gonna? What, what do we, what do we have here? to do? What are we doing? We have to talk about your Latin American <laughs> influence that wow. caused you to say Ontario. Well, I don't the feel like we need to channel week. our inner Canadian and say I'm sorry right away. We don't have no, to say I'm, I'm not sorry. saying I'm sorry for bullshit. Okay. All I have to say is, bienvenidos, Ontario. See? <laughs> See? There we go. Yeah. But we will go. We will revert into, I know it's Ontario, and technically hey. it's Ontario, and in Toronto, you're not even supposed to say the T, and Toronto. it's all sorts of Canadian stuff. You're supposed There's to say all sorts of Canadian. It's Toronto. It's There's Toronto. No Toronto. 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 And so, again, Canadians, we know you're sensitive, and I think it's got something to do with uh, all the oil gravy. that you <laughs> suck up. It's the gravy. Yes. It's the gravy. And so here we are. In Ontario, be giving, <laughs> I switched wow. them together. I mix them together. You're really brilliant. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben hanging out with Marcus mm. and hanging out with Henry. Yeah, you are. Yes, like a indeed. couple of balls sagging out of a pair of ripped pants. Woo! <laughs> I love to be a bunch of balls having a nice time jiggling around. All right, guys. So today's story, mm. you know, we were just having fun. So that's done now. <laughs> um, because this story is disgusting. Once again, this is part two of three. We are covering Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. So let's just get back into it. So when we last left Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, the year was 1990. And Carla had just begun to participate in Paul's crimes by videotaping one of the most violent of the many rapes he committed as the Scarborough rapist. And you know what I really, you know what I solely blame a lot of this on? Christmas. Why? Because this came from gifts, and we're going to talk about this. Okay. Furthermore, Paul Bernardo had been cleared by the investigators looking into the Scarborough rapist cases after putting him in the box for just 45 minutes, despite the fact that he was the most likely suspect by far. Hey, there's no way Paul Bernardo had anything to do with it. Look at his floppy hair. There is no way somebody whose hair is as floppy as that has anything to do with gripping and, and pouncing. Because wow. that's all he's doing. Is it this. illegal to jump? This is great Canadian police work. But if we look at 1990 from a cultural perspective, particularly pop culture, oh. we see that 1990 was also the year that Vanilla Ice topped the charts with his one and only hit, Ice Ice Baby. And Vanilla's number one fan in Canada was undoubtedly Paul Bernardo. Dude, Ice Ice Baby, because that's what they're used to driving on, and right. they, they get obsessed with it. Paul it's Bernardo, more of a weather report. Yes, yeah. it is. And Paul Bernardo... <laughs> I think of all of the Vanilla Ice interpreters, let's sure. call them that, instead of fans, because everyone's mm -hmm. just trying to figure out what's at the center of Vanilla Ice. And right. I tell you what, it's nothing. It's water. It goes away. When it's, once it gets hot, it gets, it goes away. It's nothing. Absolutely. Um, but Paul Bernardo captured the spirit 
of Vanilla Ice wow. more accurately than anyone else because there's just something about his dress and his actions that really makes me think of. Isn't his name like Robert Winters? The Robert uh, Van, Rob Van Winkle. Ah, uh, yes. that's it. Well, he's, he does. He did that home renovation show as well, but mm-hmm. turns and out the Amish that, show. And, the Amish and show. also, don't forget about the new metal version of Ice Ice Baby that he did in like 2001. Ice Ice Baby. I actually enjoyed that one. You yeah. did enjoy that, but I, that nice. was technically built for you. Mm-hmm. Now, if you'll remember, Carla was a big Beastie Boys fan. So oh. the idea that white guys could have rap careers was certainly in Paul Bernardo's purview even before Vanilla Ice came along. It was for all of us. <laughs> but while the Beasties might have been just a little too good for Paul to emulate, Vanilla Ice had just the right amount of blandness for a shallow <laughs> sociopath like Paul. Oh. He's the stool humper of rappers. He is a man that you say blandness, I say broadness. That allows more people to get on board because some of these raps, all right, let's face it, okay? Some of these raps are really complicated. Yes. And the words go by a real face. They do. And I don't know what they're saying, all sorts of code. And half these codes mean weed, which is, oh, I don't even know what to say about that. And half of these other codes are about gambling Next to women. And that is inappropriate. <laughs> and full disclosure, nothing but love for Ice Ice. Nothing but love for Vanilla. It's I'm not good. sure if I'd, I'd why. Because why, <laughs> why not? He's a victim of he's a victim of a studio system that was perverted. They used him, they abused him, and they threw him away. Much like Millie Vanilli. For some reason, wow. they were making wow. most of what their arguments. They were they were what naming the is this? they were naming all of the bands about they were kind of like cooking extracts. Millie Vanilli, I just feel like is something that you would put into a cup cupcake to make it really good. Sure. And then vanilla, uh-huh. obviously, you're going to want that if you're making a cake. So uh, that's <laughs> none of them be... had talent. They were just Millie Vanilli had talent. They just had no talent. Don't even get they me were going. just vaporized by the industry because they sucked at it. And then no, they the spent industry all their money. created them, propped them up, and then destroyed them because the in- vanilla <laughs> ice destroyed himself. No, he didn't. Yeah. Millie Vanilli, he didn't have another good song. No. He had a fucking movie. Yeah, he had Snow, Snow Mommy. <laughs> and he had the other one called Hey, Come Dye My Hair. That Vanilla Ice song. Have you heard that other song being the Hey, Someone Please Buy Me a House? That was off of the fifth album. Now you're thinking about Snow, which is another fantastic band. Oh, oh, we gotta, we gotta move. Informer. We gotta move forward. Informer. It's the last thing Carla and Paul want. I mean, that's actually what Carla became. Oh. So, Paul Bernardo, going by the name Young Hype, he died... <laughs> And cut his hair to look just like Vanilla Ice, and he got to work on his debut rap album called Deadly Innocence. Deadly Innocence! You can see I crossed my arms. Yeah, That's I did. how you yeah. know it's rap. <laughs> we, we actually heard you cross Deadly your arms. Deadly Innocence! Yes. <laughs> All right. Now, from what we know from Paul's rap journals, <laughs> his goal was to rap about what he knew. From his perspective, he knew about being competitive, going yep. to parties, picking up girls... And love. He knew everything there was to know about love. Yeah. He also, his whole thing was that um, you could imagine it. He had this one saying from Gordon Gecko up on his wall. This guy being, Imagination is reality. Ah. I would rather hang out with someone who only has Scarface propag- paraphernalia and posters than someone who loves Gordon Gecko. At yeah. least Scarface had a little bit of fun with it. But... But I, yeah, that is true. Weird. He did. He it's did interesting. Again, a, it is, a whole side world of kissels like <laughs> moral validations. I don't know what's going on there. Your love of snow, the band, I'm not, I mixed know. with your love I, of. You know what I hate? I hate the hate that they uh, received. I see. I see. Love the person, hate the hate. <laughs> I am so, <laughs> we have to stop. It's the show. fine. We have to stop the show. <laughs> All right. But. 
Besides just what he knew, Paul also wanted to talk about the issues that he oh, faced. Oh, yeah. Of course he did, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How hard it is to drive on ice, yeah. which is which was inspired by Ice Ice Baby. Of course. <laughs> he wanted to talk about relationships, breakups, stealing, vandalism, Whoa. and death. Whoa, cool. Now, Paul thought of himself as an absolute fucking badass, coolest fucking guy to ever come out of Scarborough. But his rhymes and lyrics are fucking pathetic. Mm -hmm. So bad. He might as well be fucking starting his songs with my name is Paul Bernardo and I'm here to say. My name is Paul Bernardo and I'm here to say I do things in a Canadian way. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's how you start. But Paul Bernardo also, this was at a time period where he was narrowing his social life down, as we'll get to. This is one way to whittle away the friends. (laughs) (laughs) Any amateur rap is a good way to make sure you get your alone time. (laughs) But Paul Bernardo was a guy that uh, he wanted to be super cool to 15-year-olds because he was trying to have sex with them. And so as now a close to 25-year-old man, he was only hanging out with kids. And kids like looked up to him in in their stupid ways, right? Where he went and he bought them booze and he would like hang out with them. And his whole thing is that he would like create social like hierarchies with whoever got access to his Nissan. Oh, this is wow. like, like who was like and all the cool kids. Yeah. And then he also was getting especially close to Tammy. Okay. Yeah. Well, in one specific deadly innocent song, Paul wrote from the perspective of a guy fighting back when some other dude tried stealing his girlfriend. And it's here <laughs> that he explains the meaning of deadly innocence. Oh. He wrote, quote, if he steps on me because I look non-threatening, it's his biggest mistake. It's a case of misjudging or underestimating. It's a case of deadly innocence. It doesn't what? Rhyme. It doesn't rhyme. <laughs> it doesn't. No, none of it's good. No. But you have to no. say it rap-like. Oh, okay. If he steps on me because I look non-threatening, it's as big a mistake. It's a case of misjudging or... Est- nope. You know what? No. It doesn't rhyme. It just <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't rhyme. It doesn't, it doesn't flow. It's, fuck, it's, got, it's a god-awful really fucking bad. flow. Yeah. He has no idea what he's doing. Here's some of his further lyrics. You think I'm innocent? But behind this, I'm packing a lot of deadliness. So come at me. Come at me. I got a fucking nice face. I look like a pretty boy. Why didn't you come at me, man? Take your best shot. See what happens to you, pal. You're out of here, man. You come at me with your beer belly, and you think you're really tough. I come back looking like I'm 13 years old, and I'll kick your ass. I'll kill your parents, then I'll shoot your girlfriend, and I'll fuck your wife. That's me, <laughs> Deadly Innocence. What? <laughs> what is he? He sounds like, he sounds like Terry the Gnome. He does. It's, this is technically, if Chucky raps, this would be it. I want somebody to give me an example of another rap song that uses the word pal. I, I, can't, mm. I, don't, I, I don't know. I'll go uh, into my ch- archive. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I don't know. Because he became obsessed with using the word pal. Why? Because again, he heard it in Wall Street. Oh, oh my He God. was obsessed. A pal became when he came everybody. He actually called oh. Carla pal. And these lyrics in his rap journals, it goes on and on like this for pages upon pages. Some of them do rhyme. Okay. Uh, at one point, he's, I think he says something like, I'll drain your brain and steal your chain. Um, I think that was the best that he did. Yeah. But unfortunately, well, 
We couldn't. It sounds find like he'll suck your dick and then rob you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, though, we couldn't find any recordings. Meaning, you'll mm. have to imagine Paul's actual flow all on your own, which is actually pretty easy to do. Because yeah. if you watch any one of the like the snippets of home tapes, because I've been desperately looking for them because I'm a fucking monster, so I'm trying to find as many of the recordings as I can. And he is just so unbelievably Canadian. It's like he's just so Mick, Rick Moranis from Strange Brew. Like yeah. it is just so him like, oh hey, I'll tell you. And it's mean like imagining that in a rap flow. I'm so embarrassed from here. Like 20 years in the future, I'm embarrassed. Just yeah. like I wish 30. this would stop. This is this, I honestly, it's his second biggest crime. Yeah. Well, connected to Paul's love of rap, or really his love for one rapper, was Paul's love of the Friday the 13th franchise. Okay. That makes sense. See, Paul noticed how samples and beats were looped in rap songs. You know, the ding, 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 in <laughs> sure. Ice Ice Baby. Now, how is it different for under, how is it different from under pressure? Because they didn't say, it's okay. like they say, it's he explained ding, it ding, on ding, 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 one. A, well, no, it's, it's, you're going to the date, too many dings, not enough Ds. It's, it's, in under pressure, it's ding, 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 ding. And in Ice Ice Baby, it's ding, 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 ding. See, totally different. What? VH, uh, he explained it at VH1. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's what it is. It's the first ding. There's but it's one not less. True. They, in they, got baby. Sued. they lost the loss. Yes, they lost yeah. lawsuit. <laughs> but somehow, beat looping got connected in Paul Bernardo's brain to how Jason Voorhees always came back as the same Jason, but slightly different. I mean, this is 1990. We're already up to eight Friday the 13th movies at this point. Jason just went to Manhattan to, uh, to maybe explore a rap career. Mm-hmm. But based on Friday the 13th and rap production techniques, Paul Bernardo developed what he called his theory of life. And this was his theory of life was pretty much just reincarnation without the wheel of karma. Basically, Paul believed that people just came back as more or less themselves again and again to live in a different time and place after each go round. Like how many different remixes of Ice Ice Baby <laughs> are on that first album? There's sure. like four of them. Is that right? <laughs> Now, it's not entirely clear what this belief says about Paul Bernardo's pathology, but if his sexual crimes are any indication, I think this belief added to his sadistic tendencies. Because mm. if this is true, then it means that the damage he inflicted on women would be carried over to the next life and the next ad infinitum. No, he viewed himself weirdly. There is a side of him that is very uh, almost esoteric because he does believe in this kind of concept that the Zodiac brings up actually in his letters. This idea that when I die, that why kill people so that when I die, I'll have slaves in the afterlife. Yeah. He actually talks about this concept quite a bit that every single one of these women that he is with he owns and that he has memories of them. And that's why he goes and he is a souvenir collector and a picture taker and all of these types of things. It actually works into his MOs because mm. he said, basically he's like, this will live on forever and I get to do this for forever. There's another piece of media that he was obsessed with, which is this motivational tape called lead the field by Earl Nightingale that he actually <laughs> bo borrowed money from his friends to purchase like a, some rare a vinyl of it. And it's, now on YouTube and basically the whole thing is all about like stand up straight look your challenges directly in the eyes make sure you stuff a rag in their mouth like it's stuff like that where you go and you're like this is very intense how did it get here but th right. this he was really into this like wooey woo 
kind of bullshit. Yeah, yeah manifesting you, a reality. That which honestly, you know, it's weird though how it comes up because of how, how many times have I talked about reality is perception, all this type of shit, and it's just sad when somebody uses it for highly nefarious ends. Absolutely, you got to have karma. You got to know it. Your actions come back. They it's do. A boomerang. It's a boomerang. Mm-hmm. Now, right around the time that Paul Bernardo's love for Vanilla Ice was reaching its peak, <laughs> he and Carla Homolka would commit their first rape and accidental murder together, which was all the more tragic for being Carla's little sister. So by 1990, Paul and Carla had been in a relationship for almost two years, and Paul began trying to convince Carla that it was okay for him to sleep with other women. Now, there was a bit of groundwork he laid to do this. So one of Carla's friends found a list that Paul had written for her of how to behave, right? So he was trying to slowly massage her into certain thought processes, but she was already halfway there, right? Because we know for a fact that this juiced her up. But one of the things, because what Carla always said was like, I'm a highly independent woman and I need someone who can control me. Because that was her thing, right? She wants to be controlled. It's tough to marry those two, isn't it? she, it's weird. She was like, I was always bored by other men because I just did whatever I wanted or whatever. And they would just be like, whatever. But I wanted someone who said no to whatever. Right? I mean, this I is, don't even. That's how I view Carla. No, I, no, I, I believe your interpretation. I, yeah. I also believe that I'm sticking with dogs. Yes. But he made this list for her to keep on her at all times. And what the list said was, never let anyone know our relationship is anything but perfect. Don't talk back to Paul. Always smile when you're with Paul. Be a perfect girlfriend for Paul. If Paul asks for a drink, bring him, and quickly, and happy. Remember you're stupid. Remember you're ugly. Remember you're fat. I don't know why I tell you these things, because you never change. And he wrote this thing, and she had this around. It's not. And so he was getting her used to this abusive environment, and Carla was taking to it. Yeah. Now, at first, the open relationship wasn't Carla's scene. But when Paul suggested a threesome, she got a lot more agreeable. The hitch here was that Paul's main target for this threesome was Carla's 15-year-old sister, Tammy. Now, this wasn't full throttle right from the beginning. Possibly to get Carla used to the idea, Carla and Paul began role-playing sexual scenarios in which Paul had sex with Carla while Carla played Tammy. And he was oh, ramping up yeah, the, his so physical relationship freaking. with Tammy too, because yeah. they would have a they would have a habit, uh, which I um I don't think any family member should have, and I'd be really upset, no, I don't right? Think if so. I came home and um, she, uh, Carla would come home and often find Tammy in her regular position, in which she would sit on Paul's lap facing him, Ugh. pelvis to pelvis, right? And they would laugh and joke about it, right? About how close they were getting. But also Paul understood he was creating this division between Tammy and Carla. Carla was getting more and more jealous of Tammy and their relationship as time went. And he was stoking these fires on both sides, basically hanging up, being like, can you believe how hot Tammy's looking today? Meanwhile, Tammy's 14 years old. It's pretty disgusting stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it's not great. No, I'm not fucking high-fiving him. Yeah, and guess what? It's going to get so much fucking worse. Live from your grave. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. 
All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Yeah, we do. Do you love saving money? Oh my God, you bet. Then Philo may be your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. That's amazing. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles. It's just a better way to watch TV. Get with it, people. Philo has an unlimited DVR for one year. Save all your favorite shows so you can watch on your own schedule. Philo allows for multiple profiles and multiple streams, meaning that your children or significant other can't ruin your queue. Never miss a minute of shows like, oh, RuPaul's Drag Race. You're going to watch it. You're going to love it. You're going to get involved with it. And it's an extravaganza. You're going to love it. With Philo, you can start watching in seconds for less money and less hassle. Try it yourself with your seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash left. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash L-E-F-T to get 50% off your first month. Well, during these role-playing scenarios, amidst much talk of snuffles and kings, because Paul always loved Carla to tell him that he was a king over He's and the over king, again. Baby. You're a king. You're, You're the, king. the king, baby. Bernardo would hold a photo of Tammy while Carla blew him. Now, this satisfied Paul for a bit, but as it always was, he escalated. First, Carla broke the blinds in Tammy's bedroom so Paul could peep and videotape her undressing. Think of how much shit Carla's doing. I almost want to make sure we keep charting. Yeah. Carla's involvement as we go being like she went really far out of her way to to help in these fantasies get built mm-hmm. 
Next, Carla and Paul had sex in Tammy's bed, followed by Carla using Tammy's dildo on herself. Ew, oh ew, my goodness. Ew, ew, yeah. ew. I have a hard time using Natalie's toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, Carla and Paul drugged Tammy by crushing volume into her spaghetti, and once she was passed out, Paul ejaculated onto the pillow she was sleeping on. And by the way, what we said earlier in the in the first episode about like this being a really fucking like gross episode, it's gonna be a gross series. It's, it's a gross gonna, series. It's just gonna be all it, and it's gonna get terrifying at one yeah. point. Yeah, because I've only ever come on a pillow in a hotel, <laughs> and that's just because I'm not living there. You know what well, I mean? You still shouldn't come on the pillow. I mean, I'm not trying to, but sometimes you just like you're in the moment. You're like, whoa! In the 30 seconds it takes to masturbate in there, you're just like, whoa, whoa! You're spinning in a circle. Well, it's not quite that crazy, but and this sort of behavior went on for an entire summer and fall, made even worse by the fact that Paul Bernardo had moved away from Scarborough and had taken up residence. In the Homolka home. Yeah, he became the full week son. Yep. Eventually, Tammy would dump any drinks Paul brought her and her friends because there were always little white flakes floating on top. And they made it like this funny bit. Yeah. Like, oh, Paul's trying to have sex with us while we're asleep. Hell, it gets this like <laughs> funny thing. I know that this is also the 90s or the in 1990. And I guess there is a little bit more of a, there is a joking atmosphere about this concept. Like, you know, how many times people have like isolated clips of Bill Cosby doing bits about Spanish fly and how good it is to get women all worked up. Isolated. Like, there was on his first album. Yes, what I'm saying. Yeah. They were yeah. on, it was on a track. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, as far as where Paul was getting these drugs, Carla had been put in charge of the drug registry at the pet clinic where she worked. Therefore, Paul and Carla had a near unlimited access to untraceable sedatives, and they soon began experimenting with Halcyon. Now, eagle-eared listeners might have perked up at the mention of Halcyon because Halcyon was the same drug that Jeffrey Dahmer used mm. to drug his victims either in the bars and bathhouses where he met them or once he got them back to the, his apartment. Halcyon has really been, they really hate this advertisement. They don't want yeah. this free advertising. No, I no. don't think so. Once suitably drugged, Dahmer would either rape men in the bathhouses, which was an offense that got him banned from every bathhouse in Milwaukee, or he would kill them in his apartment to do what Dahmer did. Now, Paul and Carla experimented on Tammy for months with various doses of Halcyon, and right around Christmas of 1990, they figured they were ready to go all the way, especially when Carla basically gave her little sister to Paul as a Christmas present. This was all set up for Christmas time. Like, mm. so this is, it's really, um, I mean, it's fucked. Uh, absolutely. I don't know why it's extra fucked that it's at Christmas, but she did position it as a gift. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. But that's also just one point of view. Some people believe that Carla was so abused by Paul that she basically copied his psychopathic tendencies and did whatever she felt would please him. Also, Paul wouldn't beat her instead. And there are certainly abusive relationships of this kind, although to a much lesser extent. But to say that Carla was merely a meek supplicant who supported Paul's sadism is short-sighted and, again, sexist. Yeah, remember, women can be psychopaths, too. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and we want more of them. I, I really, I support them. I support okay. them to come forward, run businesses. Now, I don't want to give too much away, but the moment Paul truly started lashing out on Carla years later, she cut her losses and threw him under the bus the first chance she got. And furthermore, as we said, women have just as much of a capacity for violent sadism as men do. They, they just might have different origins for it. 
Like, it depends yeah. on what they're getting back and what the feedback is. Some people find it sexually uh, exciting. Some women do. It's much rarer in women than men. But a lot of times they also find some form of, like, pragmatic use for it, especially mm -hmm. in this example. And there have been plenty of women, like, who did not kill in, like, say, a you know, way that, like, a sexual sadist like Ted Bundy killed. Uh, but, they, you know, women who said that they poisoned their victims. But Catherine Knight. Yeah, Catherine Knight, but other, but victims, but women who like just poison their victims and watch them die and then later described as having an extreme sexual satisfaction watching the light go out of somebody's eyes. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I got excited. But. Yeah. But for a prime example of a violent sadist, we can look to the oft referenced Ilsa Koch, the so called Beast of Buchenwald, whose supposed construction of lampshades made from tattooed skin inspired Ed Gein. Now, there's no evidence that she did that, only witnesses, but the fact that she was still a Nazi concentration camp commandant, that's got to count for something. Yeah, man, they seem to have an eye for macabre talent over there. I don't know yeah. what it is with the Nazis, <laughs> but they seem to understand, oh, this bitch is going to be brutal. Let's hire her. Yep. The idea is the woman as the cooperative partner of a sexual sadist or someone that actually would give in to their torture came from a report that the FBI wrote. It was written by Roy Hazelwood, Janet Warren and Park Dietz. It was called The Disturbed Mind, Compliant mm. Victims of the Sexual Sadist. And this was actually sent to the Canadian police when they were trying to figure out how to prosecute this case or figure out what are the M.O.s of these of this couple. Right. And also is a part of the reason why that Carla Homolka got her plea deal, which we're going to cover in more detail next week. They sent but, them a document. Basically, they were like, because they're like, how do we figure this out? Because they're they the police. Because they can't fucking just figure it out on their own. They don't have their own fucking investigative unit that's doing any sort of work, and they can't look it up. I guess on the microfiche. They got to work it into a comedy sketch. <laughs> they, I guess that's the only <laughs> way for them the to only absorb way the it. Canadian police will get it. It needs to be in a review on the CBC. <laughs> but this guy, basically, this is about women that are a part of severe sexual sadist relationships and how they end up co-opting the behavior of their sexual sadist partners, doing doing crimes alongside of them. But the type of abuse that the women talk about in these in this report, I'm talking about total, full, physical control of their body, right? Where they were, one woman reported being wrapped in duct tape from head to toe and beaten, right? Another woman talked about being hung from a pole and beaten. And then after years of this abuse, began to sort of actually take the abuse and want the abuse and consent to the abuse. A bit of Stockholm Syndrome, perhaps. Yes, but this perhaps. does not really, uh, to, for me, it does not fit the example of Carla Homolka because no. yes, was she abused? Sure. And was she mentally and, and physically abused? Yes. But she never to this extent. And Carla Homolka was already per perpetrating some of these crimes when this whole started. She was already doing the soft rollout of the Ken and Barbie murders. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I don't think it really matches, but it's what they use. It's a very interesting uh, report. You should read it, but it's fucking harrowing. And obviously our thoughts go out to anyone who is a victim of any kind of domestic yes. abuse and abuse. And we also have to remember that we have choices as well. Because uh, it's hard, it might be difficult, but you still have a choice to to not go down the path of a Carla Homolka. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Carla Homolka weathered the abuse because the sexual charge she got from participating in Paul's crimes, it was in essence worth it. It was worth the abuse until it wasn't. I'm just going to say this relationship seems a little toxic. What? I don't know. <laughs> what? I'm not, I am not Dr. Phil. Or any mm. kind of doctor, doctor. which nor is Dr. Phil. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> now, when Paul finally decided to rape Tammy Hamolka, or I guess when they were ready to do so, it took a massive amount of premeditation and planning. And it was Carla 
who supplied the drugs to make this plan a reality. Now, the halcyon worked just fine for causing someone to pass out, but Paul and Carla wanted something to make sure that Tammy would not only not wake up in the middle of it, but also wouldn't remember anything that had happened. That was key to the whole plan. So right around Christmas in 1990, Carla pocketed a bottle of an inhalant anesthetic called halothane from her job at the Martindale Animal Clinic. The drug was used to sedate animals when it was surgery time, and since halothane was unregulated, Carla could steal as much as she wanted. Whew. At around that same time, Paul bought himself a new Sony video camcorder, because while he and Carla had done a few videos in the past, Paul wanted to make sure he got high-quality footage of the rape both he and Carla were about to commit with Carla's sister. It's really weird Jesus. how it all became super-powered by the purchase of this camera. Like, that's yeah. why I made the joke about the idea of this being to blame on Christmas presents. But as soon as he got this equipment, it kind of went full-on, because he, mm -hmm. he was obsessed with the video camera. Like, yeah. one thing that will come to light when they're investigating it after everything is discovered the hours and hours and hours of footage that mm. he put together and not just uh, of crimes of everything like i guess it's like my family had one of the big heavy ones to those big crazy video cameras and yeah. we did like using it i used it for sketch yeah, comedy it's, it's like that in the sense that it was a tool that was used but by we you became, and, but it we was became quite like obsessed with the That's camera like right? like, and they drink water too it's like yeah i mean <laughs> it's, it's like that in the sense that you purchase something kind of similar so on Christmas Day, everyone at the Homolka house was drinking, and that's when Paul and Carla laced Tammy's daiquiri with crushed halcyon. That was for starters. Why are we it, giving so many drinks to a 15-year-old kid? Like, why is everybody just so chill with this shit? It's Christmas time. It's not, there's nothing wrong with having a, a drink with the family around Christmas time. Yeah, just I guess one, it's true. It's, it's more of the drugging and everything. Yeah, else. I mean, yeah, yeah that's also bad. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's you're the right. part of it. It's bad. But yeah, families. you know, have a kid get a little eggnog. It's like, oh, yeah, it's Christmas. You go ahead, bud. I guess because my dad was an alcoholic, so we, booze was never like fun in our house. Yeah, right. yeah it's a different yeah. thing. I remember yeah. I had a sip of a wine cooler once. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Thank that's you. cute. <laughs> and since Christmas was a festive time, Paul brought out his new camera and started goofing around. First, he sang Ice Ice Baby for the camera in its entirety. It's not even close it's to a Christmas song. It's winter time. It's, it's not even. And he probably sang it in a manner that was serious enough to make everyone uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, like sweating through his shirt and shit, like doing the full like breakdown dance and shit. And they all have to go, that's great, Paul. They better be careful. He's gonna, they better be careful or he's going to do a renovation on the home. That could even be worse. Oh, 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 Van Winkle bit. Oh, Van Winkle. Oh, call Van Winkle. We have a leak. <laughs> then, since it was 1990, Paul, Carla, and Tammy took turns doing the extreme close-up bit from Wayne's World because Paul and Tammy were big comedy fans. Yeah, man. Never miss Tam the Simpsons. No, no. And, and Tammy and, and Carla would write that her favorite things in the world were the songs Patience by Guns N' Roses okay, that's and Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's your favorite things. Mm -hmm. Okay, favorite things. Yes. Yep. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. All right. And Halcyon. That's, yeah. well, <laughs> and think, it's something that's in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Then, out of nowhere, Tammy, she recognized that something was wrong, and she announced to a room full of people that, quote, these guys are trying to poison me. Now, maybe everyone was just too drunk, or they just didn't care, because nobody reacted at all, or even asked Tammy what she meant when she said, 
These guys are trying to poison me. Like, ah, you're crazy, Tammy. What is this? Some kind of poison clinic. (laughs) And it wasn't it wasn't even like, oh, Tammy, you're crazy. It was a complete no sell. Nothing. Nothing. Hmm. And Tammy had a right to feel ill because Paul and Carla had given her 10 halcyon pills at five milligrams each. But I suppose she built up a sort of tolerance because Paul and Carla had been giving her pills for months in anticipation of this night. Finally, Paul, Carla, and Tammy sat down and watched an exorcist ripoff called Lisa and the Devil. That featured Telly Savalas. Oh, I like making, Telly Savalas. Yeah, making his second appearance here on Last Podcast on the Left in less than a year. Welcome. He's, also, he's, <laughs> he's getting the bump. Yeah, he's, he, is, he has passed on. He is dead. Yeah. Yep. So while they were watching this flick, Tammy passed out. And to bolster the argument that Carla did indeed give Tammy as a present, they laid her out in front of the Christmas tree before they began. Ugh, so gross. Now, Tammy was indeed out like a light, but Carla and Paul didn't want to take any chances. To make sure Tammy didn't wake up, Carla held a rag soaked in halothane over her sister's mouth. And after Paul and Carla both got undressed, Paul began raping Tammy. Eventually, Carla got involved. Paul pushed Carla's head between her unconscious sister's legs and Carla performed cunnilingus on her own sister, all while Tammy was menstruating. Oh, God. But it's a lot. But it's around this time that Tammy's face turned blue. Since she was so deep into an unconscious state, her neck had fallen in such a way that her air passages had been closed off. Then, when she suddenly regurgitated, as people often do when they're on these drugs, the vomit filled her lungs and Paul and Carla weren't able to clear the way for her to take a breath. Terrified, Carla and Paul got dressed and dragged Tammy to her room where they dressed her as well. And as Paul did mouth-to-mouth, Carla called 911 and poured the remaining halothane down the drain before emergency crews arrived. And again, this this shows the fact that how much planning went into this and planning went into the cover-up where this was not like passion of the moment. They had been building up for months. And then when it all went down, they immediately knew we have to clean up all the evidence. We have to get our story straight. And both of them jumped into it. They were ready to go with new stories that were, I'm going to say, not Ryan Stiles level of improv. <laughs> like this is the, to bring him back up because they are just both so stupid that they could not figure it. Also, I, I would put that they were hammered as well. Yeah. I, I mean, the whole point of this is that Tammy survived. That's a, the, all the planning was that they could do this. She wouldn't remember it and they wouldn't get caught. Killing right. was not was not in any way a part of their plan. Because killing is how you got caught. Yep. Now, Tammy was rushed to the hospital, but the constable who showed up with the ambulance immediately read the scene wrong. He assumed that they'd all been, quote, free basin cocaine. I'm just free basin cocaine. Free basin cocaine. I guess he'd heard it at a seminar or something. These fucking oh guys, man. It's the Canadian. <laughs> I blame Hugh Downs. I, I, there's a certain thing, man. We're going to cover it even more next episode because it's the Canadian sense of innocence that is also getting them fucking in trouble. These mm-hmm. aren't, this is not free. If, if it's free basin cocaine would mean that they were all very awake. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's just so, it's saying buzzwords you heard. I mean, like, yeah. I heard about it, guy. He was doing free basin, and next thing you know, he became the Batman villain, the Penguin. <laughs> and you're like, "What? That's real?" And but, but these guys don't understand. They're, they just hear oh, these God. these things, yeah, and then they just make it up to get their job over with. It's Christmas, I guess. 
Whoa, is that cocaine system? <laughs> ice Ice Baby. That's what the song's about. That yeah. actually might be what the yes. song's about. Cocaine yeah, on Christmas. I mean, it's not just laziness. It's also being naive. You know, it's right. like, oh, like not have it. Like an American cop shows up, looks at the scene and go, obviously this girl got drugged. Obviously they're on some kind of fucking, they're on some kind of sedative here. And all of this Canadian cop sees is, oh, drugs? They're, this looks like maybe drugs. Probably cocaine. It's got to be cocaine. Also, That's the most illegal of them. What is free ba- <laughs> what, what is freebasing cocaine? How is that different than doing cocaine? You smoke it's it. smoking it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it gets you super high, man. Apparently, it's fucking great. <laughs> I don't know, man. Be very careful. Get your get your testers and your crackers out there. I've been mm-hmm. actually thinking about it because I need I need a new pre workout. And yeah. I've heard freebasing really gets you in the mindset to do some Peloton. That's a great idea for you. <laughs> now, Paul and Carla had gotten their story straight by the time officials showed up. And they told cops, hey, we've been watching Lisa and the Devil. Tammy started complaining of blurred vision. We all fell asleep. And then we were all woken up when Tammy started gagging. That's when we called 911. That's when the fucking cops came. That's called and the it- pause and fast forward motive that's what they said basically we went to sleep time traveled woke up (laughs) now we're in a bit of a predicament aren't we and the cops are like you'll bet because this is all sorts of a mess huh we better clean this up it's almost christmas time when justice carla and paul were telling this story a call came from the hospital to tell the family that tammy had died Mm. now paul's reaction at this moment is interesting because it's hard to tell whether he was being performative or genuine. I don't think See, he what, knows. Honestly, I don't think he even fucking knows what's a performance and what he actually feels in any way, shape, or form because he's a fully constructed personality. It's very true. Or it's very possible. See, when Paul heard the news, he banged the back of his head against the wall, started shouting, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> and then he started pulling at his hair, again screaming, no, no, no. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Now, this reaction could be one of two things. Paul might have been putting on a show for the cops to throw them off his trail. Mm. But I think the more likely reason behind his reaction was that he was pissed off that a rape had turned into the much stickier crime of murder. I will also Mm. posit a third way. The third Uh. way by Henry Zabrowski, which I do think (laughs) could possibly be real, which is Uh. he was attached to Tammy. Right. He, and I'm not saying like emotionally attached. Probably also attached to his freedom. That's what I, I absolutely. But I, he's attached to her like someone is attached to a very nice pair of shoes mm-hmm. where he looked at Tammy as an object that belonged to him and he had total ownership of. I think there was that he was partially mad because in his mind, Carla fucked up. Because yeah. Carla was supposed to know how much right. drugs we were supposed to be able to give Tammy. So not that just so that she wouldn't die, so that I could do this again. Yeah. And that this arrangement could happen again. And that Tammy belonged Ugh. to me. Tammy's not supposed to be dead. It's like uh, Freddy versus Jason when Jason gets Freddy's kill. And then that breaks up the relationship. It breaks up the relationship. <laughs> it's like she was supposed to, t- Tammy was supposed to remain his slave. Yeah. And he was mad that he lost his slave. Yeah. Poor, poor Tammy. Yes. But due to yet another case of glaring, almost criminal incompetence, Paul didn't need to worry about this murder any more than he needed to worry about the Scarborough rapes. See, even though Tammy had bright red chemical burns on her face from the halothane, and even though her body was obviously marked up from being dragged around the house, 
police had no follow-up questions for well, Paul they, and Carl. What? They told the police. Don't they the, know the first rule of fucking improv? <laughs> always. <laughs> yes, and yes, keep and. it rolling. But no keep questions, it going. though. Actually, you're not supposed to ask questions. No, the questions can other. be rolled into the yes and <laughs> Andy. It certain depends on the game. Depends on which way they do it. Let's play the game called murder. <laughs> and why don't we just yes and our way into finding the culprit? That's very, that's very scary. <sighs> they, because improving your way into murder is how it always ends up. Yeah. Like, these guys, uh, they told the police that when they oh, when they discovered Tammy, they had dragged her off the couch to do CPR. And so they said that the burns on her face were rug burns from them dragging her. So then that well, means they the drag police, her yes, the police face be- down. Yes, they <laughs> police yeah. believe that if your sister and your sister-in-law basically was dying, that you would flip her over, drag her face first into the middle of the living room. Like, you don't wheelbarrow drag somebody. Oh, that's somebody. how you do it. No, that is how you do it. You're going to want to be there. You're going to want to go with her face down on the ground there. Good God. It's just yeah. so sad. You know, and I might understand cops not pressing a family during an obvious time of intense grief, but there were other chances to notice these clues. When the coroner took a look at the body that night, the chemical burns and drag marks were ignored again. The reason... It was Christmas time. Yeah. And the coroner had been drinking. Yeah. He it's had to go Christmas. home. I, got, I, got, I can't be sitting there, okay? I got cranberry juice turning in. I got cranberry sauce turning into cranberry juice inside my goddamn house right now. You know? Chris- and yeah, I had nine end dogs and I did drive here, but I'm a police officer, so I'm going to put you under arrest. <laughs> so instead of doing his fucking job, he ruled the death as accidental. But suspicious. I'm going to put it down. Oh. All right, listen, though. Yeah, was a bit of an whoopsie do. Okay? Sure, <laughs> drunk put a bit of a mystery behind it. So, yeah, it's a bit suspicious. Because how many times you stick around? You know how many times? I have made a sandwich for myself this afternoon, right? I came back around, he was gone, right? And then, yeah. next thing you know, maybe the dog ate it or something. But also, I've never seen the dog figure out how to get on the counter. But honestly, even that is a bit suspicious as well. I'm talking to the dog. Hey, you've been using this like a step stool, dog? I am a corpse right now laying here, drunk corner. And technically, it's insulting what you're doing. Oh, she got some. Some of the cranberry juice I was talking about earlier. It's all over her face. No, no. <laughs> this is a Christmas incident. No, drunk coroner. Not good. Now, although Carla acted oddly at her sister's funeral, she was constantly messing with the corpse's hair, straightening oh. its clothes. She didn't really seem all that shattered about Tammy's death. Paul was also fidgeting with the corpse. Yeah. Both of them were Ugh. like haunting. They had this open wake, right? Which also no one was into it. No one wanted the open casket. No, it's so sad. And when they showed up, because they did the makeup that they could, but her face was all burnt, right? Like from, she had chemical burns all over her fucking face. So no one wanted to say anything. Again, very polite. And yeah. then Paul and Carla were just posted up next to the fucking casket being like, doesn't she look nice? Doesn't she look nice? And <laughs> no, he was go, literally going dude. like playing with her arms and shit and putting stuff in the casket, fucking around with it. And I do understand it's a person and, and everybody grieves in different ways. But mm. I think that these guys were a bit suspicious about it. A bit suspicious. <laughs> Thank you, drunk coroner. Uh, so when the Hamolkas took a trip about two weeks later to take their mind off the tragedy, Carla stayed at home with Paul. But instead of grieving, Paul and Carla figured the best way to lift their spirits would be to commit another rape. And since Carla's family was gone, they could do it at home. This is two weeks after Tammy died. Jesus. Yeah. They kidnapped a girl, brought her back to the Homolka home, and raped her in Carla's bedroom. Then they let her go on a deserted robe 
near Lake Gibson. Now, we have no idea who this girl is, but Paul and Carla disgustingly gave her the pet name January Girl. It's very BTK. It is yeah, very BTK. It is very BTK. Because they got very morbid together. Uh, I mean, obviously very morbid, but they, they loved this process together. Yeah. Because Carla also viewed this as a way to change the... She was so up Paul's ass, right? I do believe that Paul was the driving force and and Carla was in the sidecar, right? And sure. they worked together and they did it. But the whole thing was about appeasing, appeasing Paul. And that the whole tenor of the thing was about making sure Paul's happy. And, that, and so she was willing to do all of this shit and go along with it. But there's also this incident here where apparently there's video, which I didn't see, of Paul punching himself in the face, being like, that's how this shit was supposed to work with Tammy. That's mm-hmm. how this was supposed to work with Tammy. Like him screaming about how Carla fucked it up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And speaking of disgusting, soon after Tammy's death, Paul and Carla began making sex tapes reliving Tammy's rape. In one extraordinarily long video, Carla said that she loved it when Paul fucked her little sister, all while she paid tribute to snuffles. It, there is transcript of the that's video. That's his cock, just as a that reminder. That is his cock, yeah, yes, yeah. that's his cock. Yeah, this is a, this is, there is transcript of the videos that this comes from. Yeah. It's also in this video that Carla basically comes up with a victim profile for future rapes they would do together, like the one they did with Tammy. Carla said that the victims should be 13, and that Paul should, quote, and this is a direct quote, Break their hymens with snuffles. God, God, it sounds like the worst episode of the Teletubbies I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Creepily, Carla also said freely and without prompting that these victims were their children and that she thought that Paul should make them, quote, even more ours. And when Paul asked when she came up with that idea, she said, just now. Oh. Because, again, it's weird. Because he believed in this, like, he was up his own ass, right? This is a fo- this is a form of, like, narcissism that is uh, clinical, where he did, in his mind, he thought, when I create these memories, they exist in, separately in my mind as souls. And then I'm, co- I'm collecting people. Like, what we're doing here is collecting these forever memories that we're going to use forever, which is, uh, that we're going to live off of sexually forever, and then we're going to videotape the whole thing to keep adding to the permanence of the memories yeah Mm. well later in the video carla pulled out a pair of tammy's underwear and paul rubbed it all over his body and when they finally had sex carla told him that she wanted him to rape 50 more girls 50 more times but only in the summer because wintertime is too hard for something like that because of the ice Ice baby. <laughs> that is very true. All right. So it's a summertime thing for mm-hmm. them. Even though January, so, but that was their last one after. Uh, after that was Tam, because of Tam. January 1991. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But do you know how you know how winter is? January's fine. It's when February that you really start getting, you got to hibernate for a little yeah. while. That's when you get sad. Wake me up when September comes. That's what yeah. I always say. That's a, that's wake me up a lot September of the year, ends, the seven months. Ends. I think it's when it's September ends. That's the, Oh, yeah. That's a green Still, that's even 10 months. That's a <laughs> long time to be asleep from February to October. That's depression. Yeah. Then as a finale. The video cuts and restarts in Tammy's bedroom, where Carla is wearing Tammy's clothes and holding a portrait of her sister over her face. Carla then fellates Paul, and the video ends. It's just so evil and scary. Why you like it? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just uh, so scary. Because you know what? There's a part of it that is just so scary. The idea of like, because marriage is weird, isn't it? Huh? Mm-hmm. Because you do get developed. I don't your even own think they were world. married. No, not yet. But they spiritually, they were as far as they were concerned. And it is weird how like you get to these games. But something like that is just so scary. They have become... This, this, uh, the two halves of one monster. I think most people don't get to those air quotes games. I don't think most people don't have the. No, no, they'll be like, hey, honey, you want to take that picture of your sister, put it on your face, (laughs) and then blow me. No, I think think most people would probably walk out or, you know, punch the fella and then leave. It's a lot to ask. (laughs) You got to build up. I don't think anyone should ever ask that, to be honest. No. But in the middle of all this horror and perversion, Paul and Carla were still planning a wedding. It's a wedding. Oh my God. They're talking burner plates in between all this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, buddy. They're doing all of this shit. Oh, uh, so they're like literally like, oh, how do we go out there and commit another horrible, horrible crime? And what do you think about the napkins? I don't <laughs> like purple. This is what I'm talking about, man. Oh the, my fucking yeah. God. I'm so sick. This episode's disgusting. The compartmentalization yeah. that happens here is some of the wildest shit I've ever seen. Honestly, don't forget we have an appointment with the wedding planner at 11 a.m. Like don't that. forget that. Because, like, uh, we see this a lot in a lot of serial killers, a lot of guys, right? They always kind of compartmentalize. They live one life, they do another. But, you know, you kind of see the sinister kind of pour into one and then the other. I think it all kind of poisons each other in a way. The videotape from their wedding is just, it's so atrocious because also it's everybody acting like nothing's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's everybody acting anybody like it's this know, perfectly normal wedding. I mean, other, obviously, we, everyone's mourning the death of Tammy. But do people know that Carla... And Paul are fucking psycho. No, they no, they don't, they don't know. know. They do well, not. they know. Well, the Homolkas had dark. sniffed out. The Homolkas had sniffed out that Paul was a monster of some kind. They okay. didn't know that he and Carla had killed Tammy, and they also thought it was fucking weird how both Paul and especially Carla were insisting that the wedding go on despite Tammy's death. Tammy died in, on Christmas, and they're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 weddings in June, gonna be happening in June, gotta happen in June. Like six months later. I have a letter that Carla wrote to her friend about the planning of the wedding. This is the week after Tammy died. Ah, fuck my parents. (laughs) They're being so stupid. Only thinking of themselves. My father doesn't even want us to have a wedding anymore. He thinks we should just go to City Hall. Screw that. We're having a good time. If he wants to sit at home and be miserable, he's welcome to. Well, he hasn't worked. Dead, he's welcome to do it. Right? <laughs> he hasn't worked except for one day since Tammy died. He's wallowing in his own misery and fucking me. Right? It sounds awful on paper, but I know you'll see what I'm saying. Mm. Tammy always said last year, right, that she Tommy wanted a forest. Tammy always said last Tommy year. Tammy always said <laughs> last year. She said that she had a she wanted a forest green patch. Yeah, I can just see her slowly becoming a leprechaun. Tammy always said last year, right? She wanted a forest green patch, right, for her 16th birthday. Now my dad keeps saying, "I would have bought it for her. I would have bought it for her if I'd only known." Well, that's bull. If he really felt like that, he'd be paying for my wedding because I could do because I could die tomorrow or next year or whatever. He's such a liar. I don't know, Carla. It just seems like your priorities might be a little bit wrong. She's a psycho bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fa- but the family just kind of suggested like, hey, do you think maybe Paul should move out for a little yeah, while? Yeah, that might also while, be a very good idea. While we heal, Carla flipped out, took it as a personal attack. How dare you do this Ugh. to us? You know that we have to be together. So by the end of January, about a month after Tammy died, Carla and Paul moved out and rented a house 
in the Port Dalhousie neighborhood of St. Catharines. And I fucking looked that up. If you say that I fucking pronounced Port Dalhousie wrong, I'm going to say I looked it up and I'm doing my fucking best. God damn it. I can't look up every single fucking word that I'd say in an entire goddamn fucking episode every single time. Well, to For be fuck's fair, sake, there are only so many hours easy. in the day. Ontario is yeah, different. Ontario but this fuck, is, I don't this know, is, man. <laughs> That's why I like, I like getting here. I like getting, to, I like getting Marcus to game over, man. Game over, it's man. Game over, man. <laughs> well, the reason why they moved to Port Dalhousie was because Carla said Toronto had too many immigrants. Yeah, she was also <laughs> racist. <laughs> Toronto she was had, also Toronto racist. Toronto had too many immigrants for Carla and Paul. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, but my the, God. But the location of their new house was more about Paul's side hustle than proximity to Carla's family. Because they needed to pay for their own place, and because St. Catharines was near the border crossing at Niagara Falls, Paul went full-time as a cigarette smuggler. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> what a cool fucking nothing like. I mean, they're legal. Taking butts over the border. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a legal thing. So it doesn't really no, need you don't to be fucking, smuggled. You it don't fucking get it, dude. American cigarettes are rad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Canadian cigarettes suck. No, dude, people want are, the kind of, I think it was Canadian coming to America, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, dude, he's smuggling Canadian cigarettes to America. Do you not remember buying the fucking, uh, when you get bootleg cigarettes at the bodegas here in New York, they'd yeah. sometimes have the Canadian uh, stamp on them? Sometimes See, it's in Russian or Slovakian. Yeah. I remember my father getting the Romanian Marlboro Lights 100s <laughs> that he got ordered from some website he got online that were all like, it was called like Morskoskorsk, and it was just like filled with fiberglass and shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, Paul would do two to three trips a day over the border, smuggling Canadian cigarettes in the door panels of his gold Nissan 240SX. Can you please say least gold Nissan 240SX? Because he didn't have enough money to purchase it. Oh, my God. Didn't anyone notice? I guess he was going through a border that didn't have a security check. But at some point you're like, well, you keep on. You, you come. He had a system coming forth a lot, coming back yeah. a lot. On a good day, he could stuff 60 cartons of cigarettes and six 40s in the doors behind the speakers. I don't know who he's bootlegging 40s to, though. You can Morons. get 40s here. Yeah, fucking idiots. They're just coming for Because they just want to hang out like children. I also think a lot of this was to literally kids. Is well, he, he delivering all of this stuff? Is he delivering all this stuff to Heathcliff? <laughs> because literally this is what bad cats would order. I also got I a trash six. can filled with fish skeletons, <laughs> and I've got a whole bunch of newspapers for these kids to sleep on and some page boy hats. Oh, this guy well, is such a wannabe, much like Vanilla Ice, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's doing it wholesale to somebody. I mean, this this is the most trailer park boys that he could possibly be. He's this is trailer parks boys. This is trailer park boys in hell. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, to hide all these smokes, Paul stuffed Carla's used black pantyhose around the panels. So if the customs agents peered in, they'd see nothing but black. You know how many times he'd sit there being like, you can go ahead and check if you want. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go take a look at the speakers then. Mm -hmm. And since the custom agents were just as charmed by Paul as the police were, the only time he ever came close to getting caught was when he trusted a friend to do the run. That guy wasn't as smooth. Ah. Oh. As it was, Paul was clearing $15,000 a month smuggling smokes when he was at the top of his game. Okay. And with all this money coming in, Paul and Carla could stay on track for their upcoming June wedding. As far as wedding gifts went, Carla had very specific and very rude instructions. She wrote, The only thing we really need or want are one, a dustbuster, oh. two, China, 
Three. You want the country of China. <laughs> if you're being generous. Okay. Three. Crystal. Four. Money. We really don't need anything. Oh my God. Plus, you know how picky we are. And as for wedding gifts, please try to let people know that we want money. If you say, if they say things like, oh, we don't believe in giving money, you tell them to go take a flying fuck. All right. They wanted money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Paul said, if I spend $50 a plate, I expect to get $100 per person. All right. Oh my my God. goal for this wedding, 50 grand. He wants That's to true. make, this man is the dumbest motherfucker I've ever heard. He thought he was going to make money off of his wedding. This is what some people do weddings for, though. That Like, we're we're of the generation that doesn't really do gifts, but most people do. Yeah, they yeah. don't do it to make money off of the wedding. You'd be surprised. There's yeah. no way. It doesn't work that way. Weddings no, can be corrupt. Yeah. <sighs> but while Carla was making her demands, Paul became more invested in his music career. Telling people that he specifically wanted to be the next big white rapper, just like Vanilla Ice. Even uh, though Vanilla Star was fading fast. That means there's room for me. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. He's no Uncle Cracker. He's no, not going to make it. He, oh, Kid he Rock have, around oh, this time was sniffing around some gas pumps, working no, out and getting no his brain one. ready to rap. No Uncle Cracker. No Everlast. That's no, for damn sure. House no. of Pain's not calling him up. Definitely no. Not. Everlast technically could play guitar. Yeah, I think you're. Is it Everlast or Everclear? Yeah, Everlast. Everlast. No, Everlast. You don't know what it's like. That guy. Yeah, exactly. I remember that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Smoke yeah. the finest nugs. Yeah. The finest greens. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, was cool. in. Uh, he was in House of Pain. He was. He was cool. And of course, moving away from Scarborough had done nothing to stop Paul from raping women out in the open, just like he'd done in Scarborough. But and the police near the border were no more adept at catching him than Detective Irwin was in Scarborough. In fact, as far as Detective Irwin was concerned, he was thanking Christ that it was all over. Cause it's since all Paul, over. You yeah. Well, because since Paul moved, Scarborough rapes is in, had ended. So, you know, kind of wrapped itself up, didn't it? It really did. Isn't yeah. that crazy how it works? <laughs> Serendipity? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, because yeah, so? they just sat there and be like, well, that's over. It's over. <laughs> you didn't Good do anything. Everybody. You oh, didn't do anything no. to stop it. Good no. police work doesn't take action. Because when it comes down to it, people are just afraid of the police. And eventually, once they're done with their little crimes, they stop. Inaction mm -hmm. is action, isn't it? So mm. it's almost like when we're not working, we are working. Interesting. <laughs> wow. So Paul didn't slow down in any way. And neither did Carla. For a wedding gift, Carla decided to get Paul another Tammy, as she put it. And she remembered a former number one pet center co-worker known only as Jane, who was 15 and just happened to look a lot like Tammy. Now, Carla believed that Tammy had died because they'd given her drugs on a full stomach, i.e. the food reacted with the sedatives and caused her to vomit, which is why it's a bad idea for patients to eat anything prior to a surgery. Hmm. Anesthetic and, and, uh, and food don't mix well. Okay. So, with Jane, Carla and Paul made sure that she had an empty stomach before she came over to the house. And on June 7th, Carla invited her over to watch Ghost so the grooming could begin. I wonder how many different assaults happened because someone had a pottery wheel in their home during this time period. Yeah, I mean, I really, at this time, dirty. it was more about being able That's to it. rent Ghost. I remember in 1991, it was impossible to find that movie at the video store. It was, it was a hit. People <laughs> loved it. Ladies got aroused by it. They did. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did. No, on that the guy was dead, so they didn't actually have to deal with him. Yeah. <laughs> and he would, he would make them orgasm. That's what he did. It's nice. To, well, it, if he can move the, the coin up, he could find your clit. Exactly. That's all you got to do. 
Now, on that visit, Jane did get sick from being drugged, but she didn't die. In fact, she returned, although her mother was a bit curious as to why two people in their 20s wanted to so badly hang out with a 15-year-old girl. Yeah, It's dude, almost it, like it's no. a red flag. It's yes. almost like, hey, why are we doing this? Hey, why don't you oh. don't do this? 35, mm-hmm. 25, short. 45, 35, fantastic. 25, 15 is massive. Yeah, yeah. 45, 15, <laughs> they better be an apprentice. They yeah. better be your child. By the second visit, though, the dosage had been adjusted correctly, and using the video camera, Paul and Carla reenacted the same sex play they'd done with Tammy, <sighs> just without the death at the end. Honey, honey, did you mail did you mail in the funniest uh, video to America's Funniest Home Videos? Oh, yeah, definitely. Where Absolutely. Just this in here. Think- Wait a second. That's me getting hit Wait in the nuts. <laughs> what video did we send? Oh, what no! video did we send to Saga? It's all of a sudden. It's oh, my t- God. Meanwhile, just Saga being like, America's Funniest Home Video. Comes oh, this from- is from Canada? We can't show this. We can't show this. <laughs> they would have won. They would have won. Live from your grave. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. 
And unfortunately, the same girl is at the end scenario could not be said about 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. About a week after they abused Jane for the first time, Paul happened upon Leslie, a troubled teen and frequent runaway. Her story makes me, obviously, it is sad about what happened to her, but it's also just this thing, too, was that because she was known as, like, a partying kid, mm-hmm. God they forbid. immediately were like, oh, she's a, she kind of asked for this, which is even worse. Mm-hmm. See, by June of 1991, Paul's confidence was at its highest level. He'd moved on from the vanilla ice look and was now affecting a Baywatch style. Athletic, <laughs> well-muscled, tanned, complete with a head of feathered blonde hair buzzed on the sides. Oh, yeah, because oh, wow. he's, well, he also he only worked out his top half because he said, working your legs is gay. That's <laughs> true. And then him and the Smyrnies, you remember the Smyrnies? The uh, other the two Smyrnies, guys? The yeah. Smyrny they brothers, were yeah. all doing this bit. And the other two, like, Paul could, like, sort of pull it off. The other two were essentially, it's just Dan Aykroyd and John Candy <laughs> if you put them in these looks, right? Like, yeah. And so it's him with these his two fucking goons walking around in slow motion acting like David Hasselhoff Jesus. when they are just the biggest fucking dumbest doinks in Canada. <laughs> Where's the beach? <laughs> it's yeah. fucking 3,000 miles south. Okay. <laughs> Remember, they went to Florida. They, they loved yeah, going well, to Fort Lauderdale. They were big Fort Lauderdale people. Yep. And so when Paul happened upon Leslie Mahaffey one summer night after she'd been locked out of her house, Paul had no trouble convincing her to get in his car. And this is a thing, a detail I want to bring up as a warning to all parents. This was done because the mother gave her an ultimatum saying, well, if you're late one more time, I'm going to lock the door so that you can't get in the house. And so Leslie Mahaffey was coming home late. She had locked the doors to the house so that she couldn't get back in. And then Leslie Mahaffey's sitting there. She's all alone, doesn't know what to do. She tries to call a friend to go some other place, can't get there. She's hanging, she's hanging outside of a payphone. Here comes, to, uh, to these people, very good-looking, normal, quote-unquote, guy, Paul Bernardo, right. pulling up in his fancy sports car, being like, why don't you come with me? Mm-hmm. Offering her a cigarette. Yes. Now, as soon as she was inside the car... Paul pulled a knife and made her cover her head with a red sweater while he drove her to his and Carla's home. And it's here that we once again move into Gold Star territory. We've been there. I think we've yeah, been I mean, there. We yeah. were been there and now we're going to continue to be in. Okay, double dip. They arrived together at 3 a.m. after Carla had already gone to bed. But when they arrived, Carla woke up to watch the beginnings of Paul's abuse. And since I suppose she just wasn't up for it that night, she left and went back to bed when Paul began videotaping Leslie while she urinated. But when Carla woke up again, after Paul had been raping this young girl all night, she wasn't angry or horrified for the obvious reasons. Instead, she was pissed that Paul had used her good champagne flutes because Paul had been feeding Leslie champagne all night to facilitate more urination. And that is not an exaggeration. I watched the uh, footage of her interrogation, like when she first came in to give her statement. And that is the main contention point that she brings up in the middle of this investigation. She's like, we even even had a chance to use those flutes on our own. Those are for our honeymoon. Yeah, but there's a lot of other problems. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not the dishes, I don't think. Well, after she woke up, she bypassed the horror and walked their dog a Rottweiler named Buddy. Then she came back home and read the newly released book, American Psycho. 
all while Paul continued torturing Leslie Mahaffey throughout the day and night. She was so bored by it. Yeah. Now, Leslie's mother called the police that morning when her daughter went, didn't show up. But since cops had gotten calls about the Mahaffey kid before, and since they'd picked her up a time or two for drinking, they just ignored the report completely. Meanwhile, once Carla was done reading, she joined in on the rape. As it was shown on video in court, Carla made Leslie give Paul a rim job while Carla gave him a hand job, all while they listened to Superman by R.E.M. Now, according to what Carla later told police, Bernardo supposedly said after midnight that night that they had to kill Leslie because they'd gone too far, and there was no way they were getting away with this one if they let her live. Homolka claimed that they gave Leslie two sleeping pills and watched her pass out. Then Bernardo took some electrical cord, wrapped it around Leslie's neck, and pulled until she died. Blood started coming out of her nose and ears. All horrible, horrible stuff. Yeah. Horrible, horrible. This also, it is really interesting that you will talk about the, what, what you brought up last episode about the idea of them being sexual sadists that end up in murder is really interesting because they, it, it, they don't like dealing with the body at all. They mm -hmm. don't take any pleasure with dealing with the body. They have to, it's immediately become a hassle. Yeah. Like where they're like, all right, now what the fuck do we do? But Carla also claimed that Paul had beaten Leslie to a pulp over the course of the two days they'd kept her imprisoned at their house. But Carla's version of events gets a little wobbly when you look at the forensics. The postmortem didn't indicate any of the usual signs of strangulation. Although, to be fair, future events would make this difficult to ascertain. But regardless, the pathologist said that Mahaffey was not beaten. The only thing coming close to that sort of physical violence was two equidistant, asymmetrical, subcutaneous bruises on either side of her back, which implied that someone had been kneeling forcefully. Now, we'll never know just how Mahaffey died, but what we do know is that Carla's parents came to the Bernardo home the evening after the murder while the mm. body was still in the house. Yeah, man. Like, this gets really oh, fucked geez. up because yeah. they are, they have like, they have descended into full madness right. together. But then their surface level is so, like, squeaky clean. Mm -hmm. It's so weird because the one thing that anybody knew about them was that Carla kept a teddy and a dog collar up in her room. Right, that she like intimated all the time, being like, Paul likes it rough. And that was the thing that they all just kind of thought that that was it. And then when Carla first started telling her friends that they did a lot of anal sex, right, her friends then said, Oh, you guys are crazy. But that's yeah, as far sure. as they I mean, knew. That's, mm -hmm. that's whatever. That's yes. fine. Yeah. And there were some people that were, would notice, like, you know, she had bruises sometimes yes. and shit like that, but it wasn't anything. Uh, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't to this level. No one even came close to thinking it was to this level. From what the Hamalkas remembered about that evening, the dinner was normal, and all Paul talked about was setting up a sound studio in service of his non-existent rap career. Yeah, <laughs> he's God, still, that's, that's it. Paul. That's he's his, still that's pursuing his, his dream. That's his thing that he talks about 
all the time. I mean, uh, you well, know, I'm going to be the next Vedana. Ice. Well, That's you know me. So. Oh, I am with my lyrics. You know, you should even see me dance. I yeah. don't want to see that happen. Listen, I learned, I learned this new song the other day. It's called the Macaroni. <laughs> and these guys out there, they do all sorts of you things mean the, with their the hands. Macarena? No, it's, uh, I think that's Spanish for macaroni. <laughs> and these guys, they move their hands so fast. It's right. dizzying. It is, yeah. yeah. It's uh-huh. almost as if n- there's no way the entire country in the world can do this dance. No way. You have to really guide. <laughs> them through the lyrics. So after dinner, Bernardo and Hamolka had to decide what they were going to do with the body in the basement. They decided on a fairly creative, if ultimately unsuccessful technique involving a power saw and 11 bags of concrete. To be honest, Jeez. it was so creative, it was stupid. Yeah. I think that it was the, I think what they tried to do, they thought about it too hard and they're yeah. both, they are both very stupid. Like yeah. I forget. Like that's one thing I also want our audience to remember. All of this shit happened because the Canadian police couldn't fucking find their ass with a fucking flashlight during this case. Yes. These two guys are not criminal masterminds. No, they no. fucking Scarborough rapist. When he was a Scarborough rapist, he did it without a mask, and many, many people tried to stop him, and he couldn't, and the police couldn't do it. This is also another one of those. Being they like, wouldn't do it. They, they could have done do it in a freaking heartbeat. Yeah. Yes, but you never know, man. I'll tell you one thing: things have gone wrong when you have to say, "What are we gonna do to get rid of that body in the basement?" <laughs> that is a that is a sign you have done something that is not good. And keep remember, no body, no crime. Mm. Mm. That night, Paul and Carla taped up the windows in their basement and fashioned a tent with a tarp to catch any blood spatter. Then, according to Carla's story, Bernardo used a power saw with a seven-inch blade to cut Leslie Mahaffey's body into ten pieces. Now, it is entirely possible that Paul was the only one who did all the cutting, but if you'll remember... Carla was involved in the surgeries and autopsies of animals at the Martindale Animal Clinic. And she just loved to say that animals were just like humans when it came to cutting them up. That was one of the, Carla, edgelor- the edgy shit that she liked to say. Truly, Carla, I wish she'd calm down. Be like, <laughs> you'd be surprised how quickly the human body can come apart if you got a power saw. Yeah. <laughs> Carla, we're trying to sell parakeets. Okay? Therefore, it is logical to assume that Carla had quite a bit of input on the dismemberment, even if she didn't do the cutting itself. I would give her an executive producer credit. <laughs> okay. I would put Paul She's Bernardo as the lead and writer, and that she was she came in, she gave him the guidance, because Paul's a fucking moron. Yeah. He had no clue how to do this shit. No, there's nothing in Paul's history su- to suggest that he had the knowledge to do something like this on his own at all. Now, after each piece was cut away, arms, legs, hand, hands, feet, and head, Carla washed each piece clean and put them in separate plastic bags. Once the job was done, the parts were carried to a root cellar where they were stored overnight. To dispose of the bloody tarps, Carla freely offered the locked biohazard dumpster behind the Martindale Animal Clinic. Because a blood-covered tarp in that dumpster wouldn't really raise a lot of red flags. What are you talking mm. about? What are they doing? You convex bringing their own fucking tarps from home to they do? Ki- they kill a lot of animals. I guess they do. Animals they shouldn't are full be. Of blood. They shouldn't be killing the animals. They no. do. I mean, that's. I what know happens. they die. They do. Yeah. They happen to die in there, but they no, shouldn't they be don't. killing them. And also, it would be, I think it would be weird if they found a giant tarp <laughs> in the behind the bed. Buddy, you're you you just drive the dumpster. You got to get back for I don't know. I'm not talking about the dumpster man. I'm not talk- the dumpster man is have nothing to do with it. It's Pickleback Thursdays at McWillie's. <laughs> oh, I know. If you're a dumpster man, it's a long day, no matter what the day is. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you got to get the job over with. Throw the tarp in the in the back and let's go. Mm-hmm. 
After disposing of the tarps, it was then time to get the cement. While Carla was at work, Paul went to a store called Beaver Lumber and told the clerks that he was building a deck. I'm building a goddamn deck and I need some goddamn concrete, you fucking beavers. You're building a concrete deck. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. Okay. Don't tell me how to build a concrete deck that exactly doesn't exist. Well, what? People use wood. Mm, you're trying to trick me into something. <laughs> okay. Well, they told him if he really wanted to do the job right, though. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course they did. He'd need 22 60-pound bags of concrete mix. 60 pound bags, e 60 pounds each. 22 bags. Jesus. Once he was back in the basement, he mixed the concrete and constructed eight cement boxes between Monday morning and Wednesday evening. Took probably the hardest he ever worked in his shitty little life. Honestly, mm -hmm. probably. Well, the plan was to encase each body part in concrete, paint the concrete block black, and toss each one into Lake Gibson, where they would presumably never be seen again. Wouldn't that just preserve the body part? And then, well, I don't want to talk just, about it. Just all done. <laughs> it just doesn't work. No, either way, the plan didn't work. Okay. Yeah. But as it turned out, the job didn't take all 22 bags of concrete. So Paul returned the remaining 12 bags to Beaver Lumber and made a big stink about the clerks overestimating his needs. He went oh and pulled god. a... He, he did this fucking, fucking meltdown. <laughs> just being like, you oversold me concrete. Oh my god. You try to come here and tell me how much concrete I need. I'll tell you how much concrete I'm bringing back. And they're all like, oh, buddy. Whoa there, buddy. You want to hold your horses there? We already spent that concrete money on buying more wood. We're going to have to cancel our show in Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> no, just joking. We love the Canadian people. Well, before they disposed of the blocks, Paul and Carla had to find just the right dumping spot at Lake Gibson. They drove out one night with first the power saw, the cardboard used to catch all the extra blood during the dismemberment, and the empty concrete bags. Now, the saw was the first thing to toss, because the saw was gummed up with tissue and blood. That thing was useless. And you try to smash it up with a hammer, yeah. And then he Ugh. couldn't. When he couldn't yeah. smash it up with a hammer, he just got angry and just chunked it in the fucking water. Oh, enough with you. <laughs> Next, they burned the cardboard and the empty cement bags. Then they commemorated the occasion by having sex on the spot where they would dump the body of Leslie Mahaffey. Again, stupid. Very, so very, very stupid. stupid. Because mm. if anybody came by you while you were having sex out on the spot, while you're covered in blood, while all of the evidence is everywhere, what are we doing here? I know it's goth time, but <laughs> honestly, like, think about criminal. Think about being a criminal for a second. Yeah. I don't now, think Paul, they were thinking. No, no, they weren't. And there's just going to be fuck up after fuck up after fuck up on this. And none of them matter. That's the most insane thing. None of their fuck ups matter. Not a single one. Ugh. Now, Paul was able to handle the individual body parts, but the block containing the torso weighed over 200 pounds. Yeah, because they didn't even think about geez. how the concrete weighs... Like, it weighs a lot. They yeah. did the whole torso in, in a thing of concrete? It wasn't... This is all so stupid. Mm-hmm. When he and Carla were carrying up the stairs together, they dropped it. The block cracked, and it began leaking fluid. Oh, God. Thinking quickly, Bernardo wrapped the leaky part in a garbage bag. That's what it. you got to do here. That's how you handle <laughs> this one. You got to wrap it up here. Yeah. Threw it in the car and drove it to the lake. Now, the individual body parts were fine to toss into the spot they'd originally picked out. But the torso block was, again, too large. So they drove it to another spot and pushed it off a bridge. Only problem with this is that since it was a nighttime disposal, Paul and Carla didn't notice the bridge pilings below. The block, therefore, hit the structure and cracked open, leaving the torso to freely float away. All the work oh is gone. Oh my gosh. All their bullshit is gone. 
Now, even if okay. the torso block hadn't cracked on the piling, Leslie Mahaffey's body still would have been discovered. See, Carla and Paul's plan wasn't as clever as they thought it was. You think? Because <laughs> Lake Gibson was a damned lake. They're Meaning the dumbest the, motherfucking pieces yeah, of shit. Yeah, they're fucking morons. They're <laughs> also they bad at crime. so stupid. <laughs> the water rose and fell, you know, like with on a regular basis. Therefore, the blocks were discovered two weeks later by a fisherman named Bill Grackle. Yep. Oh and, uh, that's not the first bodies I found. <laughs> I find, honestly, I've been finding about 15 bodies a day. <laughs> and these, these cops, they just kind of put them on a pallet and take them away. And I just think they're collecting them. <laughs> they Sounds like they are. Now, Bill noticed a two-foot-by-one-foot concrete block in the shallow depths, and when he opened it, he found a human thigh. By 11 p.m., the lake was swarming with cops, and all seven of the appendage blocks had been found. The torso was the only thing missing, but that was found the next morning by a fisherman named Michael Doucet, who used his fishing pole to keep the torso from drifting away until the police arrived. Now, you can't take this catch from me, all right? I have a license, and this fits <laughs> no, the parameters. It does. Right, that is a torso, No, sir. no, no. I caught it in this here lake, and I'm bringing it to put into my game room. Not okay? allowed, sir. You will Sorry. not. This is my fishing Sorry. liberty. The torso was this big. It you was this big. It's like, oh, we don't need to lie, fisherman. Now, the Leslie Mahaffey murder was caught by Niagara police. And when a composite sketch was done of a man seen in the area around the time of Mahaffey's disappearance, the sketch looked just like the Scarborough rapist mm-hmm. okay. and therefore looked just like Paul Bernardo. All right. So the cops are getting warm. They're really sniffing you around. Fucking asshole. Okay. Not they even said close. The, the way the cops, their, their estimation about the Scarborough rapist, right? Because then they try to say, it's like, oh, it's probably the same guy. And they're like. There's no way. Okay. Why not? I know. Listen, no, you don't <laughs> okay. understand. I know a lot of guys, all right? To rape and murder, that's gross. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> does them both. No one ever does them both. That's just no too one much does for them both. No, not <laughs> ever one does one. It's like a baseball player never plays professional football at the same time he's playing professional baseball. Yeah, well, Deion Sanders no, did that. No, he was a myth that is an urban myth that nope. has been debunked on Snopes. Bojack. He's never been. <laughs> But since, you know, that's the thing about the Scarborough rapist case. Detective Irwin had completely given up on keeping the case alive. Oh, yeah. When do they just become complicit? (laughs) Technically, I believe that they will. will, Next episode, we'll talk about how they did technically all of this made them go into a massive investigation of the Toronto police. And thank you to all the good cops out there and detectives who work tirelessly to bring justice to victims because these are not them. No, Detective Irwin, he wasn't making any calls. He Ugh. wasn't sending out the sketch to other departments. And it's not like fucking Niagara is a million, is on the other side of Canada from Toronto. It's in the same fucking province. It's, it's like an it's hour away. It's just his job. Yeah. Yeah. So no links were made between Leslie Mahaffey's murder and the Scarborough rapist, even though they were one and the same. But what's truly insane is that Leslie Mahaffey's body was actually discovered on the same day that Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka got married. Oh Somebody's getting married. <laughs> must have added a lot of stress to the day. Well, they didn't know. No, not at all. They didn't seem to care. Okay, great. No, not at the all. Day, the day was already stressed enough. It was. You know, Carla Homolka did not make any reservations until the last minute. Mm-hmm. Wedding was not a festive affair 
Everyone was very edgy. Really? You know, Tammy's I don't know why. What was... did they have to eat? I'm guessing spaghetti for some reason. <laughs> uh, no, actually, what they ate was the the meal was chosen specifically by Paul Bernardo because he wanted any only the finest, and so everything they had a very grand affair. And the meals that everyone was served was peasant stuffed with veal, which oh. I've never heard of. Right? It's just fucking foul. Technically, I think you mean on. pheasant stuffed with veal. Fe- you mean on, yeah, I'm peasant sorry. stuffed with veal is an entirely different meal. That's what I would be eating if this was 1200. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> what that would be for me. Stuffed with veal. But also, this is a description of the mother of the bride. Then the mother of the groom, the night of de- of their wedding. This is deadly innocence. This is what this man decided to describe this poor this poor woman. I know way. This and is she's Paul's also grumpy. Yes. Marilyn Bernardo's ill-fitting mauve dress stuck to her lumpy body in an unflattering <laughs> manner, leaving the distinct impression that she wasn't wearing a slip underneath. Her dark short hair was slick. Matted to the side of her head. <laughs> From early in the wedding day, there had been speculation about whether she had washed it at all or had simply left it to dry haphazardly in the humidity. One couple, friends of the bride, suggested unkindly that Marilyn looked as if she had been dragged through a hedge backwards. <laughs> On her left leg was a white cast, which clomped noisily as she drew closer to the head table. She, roast mode on the mob. Oh all right. Jesus. Well, she made Paul Bernardo, so whatever. Um. I mean, the Homolkas weren't doing much better. They weren't even on speaking terms with no. Paul at this point. And have you been, Henry, did you see the fucking picture of them in their, like, princess die, the Prince Charles? The full uh, car- carriage, the white carriage and white horses, and mm-hmm. she's in her very grand dress, and he looks like a rapist, and they are just <laughs> going to the wedding. <laughs> but once the wedding was over and done with, Carla and Paul immediately went on a honeymoon to Maui. Oh. And in true shitbag fashion, they raped a woman on their honeymoon. She didn't even take Jesus. a break. It doesn't even fucking matter at this point. Of course they fucking did. These but psychopaths. I will say this is how deeply entrenched this is how deeply entrenched the behavior had become. Right? Yeah. Like it became very normal. It sounds for like them. they just do it like they go to the opera. That's why <laughs> it feels like uh, that's why you I, it's I, disgusting. I, the idea that Carla Homolka wasn't like involved partially doesn't make any fucking sense that both of them were this was a behavior that now had become a part of their day-to-day disgusting but while they were being picked up at the airport by carla's parents they were told all about the body parts found at lake gibson because the information had finally been released to the public remember they were found on the day that they got married so it took a few days no one wanted to no one wanted to ruin the day no of course (laughs) you don't want to ruin all the raping they were doing during their honeymoon were are they the kind of people that get off on the paranoia and no, all of the no. like media, they, or they still like, so they don't no. like the attention. No, no. They, they thought that they committed the perfect crime. God, they're so yeah. okay. <laughs> I don't yeah, get the, it. I put yeah. the concrete block. Yeah, the yeah, torso came out, but anybody sees a torso. Yeah. <laughs> Torsos are everywhere. Have you ever been to New York City? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Carla and Paul were shocked that the body had been found at all. Shocked. But after the police just didn't show up to even question them. Carla and Paul got back to business as usual. Only now they were committing their crimes as a married couple. Oh, commitment's nice. Yeah, I guess. While they looked out for a new sex slave, they amused each other by having Carla strip outside on the lawn while Paul looked out the window and masturbated, watching her dance around and, uh, as Invisible Darkness put it, 
Bump and grind. Bump and grind. Oh, bump and grind, yeah. They are really obsessed with, there are certain things that they don't like in Canadian books. In any one of these, all of the books, they all say, they don't like when people dance suggestively. They really always been like, oh, and they were just hopping around like a bunch <laughs> of humpers. There's that. <laughs> and also, you know what the book is really fixated on, especially Deadly Innocence? How many hair colors that Carla dared have in her life wow. and how that showed she was an unstable person. Oh, that's what it was. You're looking, you could get tell because, you know, one day she's pink, next day she's <laughs> blonde. Who we, who we talking to wow. here? Can you even <gasps> trust her? Deadly Innocence is also particularly fixated on soundtracking the rapes. Yes. Uh, when I mentioned R.E.M., like R.E.M. Superman, that's just like one of the, like they always made sure to say exactly what song was playing in the background, I guess to put you in the moment. I don't I get it. You know so. what it does though, in a way, is that it kind of shows you the normalization of the things that they were doing. That they yeah. could put a soundtrack on the background to do all of this heinous shit. And it also mm -hmm. shows you an artist, once they create the art and once it's out in the world, it's out of their control. Yeah, somebody else. Yeah. No, somebody else's no. Because I don't I think mean, our, I don't think that uh, Scott, uh, or uh, Scott Staff. Scott, Scott Staff. <laughs> he wanted no. this attention, though. No. If you ask Scott Staff, he's like, I honestly feel like my song could have been really used in the soundtrack. I, but honestly, I don't even know if I'd get royalties. Or... You would have loved it. Yeah, no. Our, our, it's just yeah, hard to do a thing about binding a woman because because all my songs are about having your arms open. Yeah, <laughs> Michael Stipe, I don't think he uh, wrote the song for that. But. No, and it's and it's also, it does give it a creepier feeling because when we talk about like Bob Berdella and you think about, you know, him listening to Mort Garson, listening to fucking Black Mass for Lucifer, that creates a certain atmosphere. That's what mm -hmm. you expect. You don't expect Bowie in a moment like this. Well, because also this is the 90s, baby. This is Ugh. 1991. So it's the core of all of this shit. Mm -hmm. Of all like this fucking cheesy ass shit, they were all they loved every minute of it. They were obsessed with pop culture, so they had everything yeah. that was new. They were into whatever was top forty radio at the time, and they were both dressed as super preppies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Paul then began following around a girl named Rachel, who was well aware that a guy in a Nissan 240SX was following her around. But despite the fact that she wrote down his license plate and took it to the cops, said this guy followed me around for three hours the other night. No one even contacted Paul. What the? F they didn't even question. That questioning isn't even a fucking. Uh, that that's not even a part of it. It's like they didn't even. Do you remember he was already questioned? Yeah, he was already questioned once. Anything else going on? Where the cops are like, <laughs> we are just so stressed, we can't deal with this. What else was happening? I heard they that just there was a shortage of Timmys at the time, <laughs> and they knew that without Timmys, if there's no Tim Hortons, there's mm -hmm. no Toronto. Someone's farting on everybody's poochie. We gotta fight in these beads! Oh my god. This is crazy. But when Paul called the police to tell them there had been a burglary at the Bernardo home, they came running. Oh my god, oh a white man's been robbed. We've gotta go. We better. We gotta go. See, Paul was running an insurance scam. And he'd taken out a policy in June and figured, ah, it's been a month. Let's get this scam going. And he called the cops in July. Once the constable showed up, Paul provided a detailed list of expensive technology and jewelry that had, alas, disappeared. Cameras, computers, fucking recording mixers, gold rings, diamonds, cash. All in all, Bernardo was reporting $30,286 in losses. Very and that's, down to the, that's down to the penny. You can see it right here. And that's not even the emotional quotient. Do you have an idea how it is? I'm a rapper. Yeah. <laughs> and every minute I'm not rapping, those rhymes, they go into the aether. That's okay. right, you're frowning. And rappers, they need jewelry. They need I have those. to have it. I know you do. Yeah. I need microphones. I need 
knee pads. <laughs> I don't even want to know how you're trying to make it in the industry. I'm losing money. Okay. Now, the constable who took the report was actually suspicious of Paul's claims. Naturally. Okay, finally. But ironically, this constable was also investigating the Leslie Mahaffey case and wanted to get back to it. So he ignored all the red flags oh and God. filed the paperwork to make Paul's claim official. Well, we might as well give him some money. Yeah. They are just, it's just unbelievable. Yes. Well, he just, I mean, I think that one, I don't really judge a whole bunch because this guy is thinking, it's like, I got a fucking murder to solve. Yep. Why am I wasting my time with this fucking asshole? Because you're looking hair? at the murderer. Yeah, he did also, that. you're looking yeah, at no, all I these... don't have any sympathy for the... I think that these are... They, wow, these people are very bad. You have so many composite sketches that look just like the man you're talking to. Any other profession. Any other profession where they acted like this. Truck drivers just driving in the ditch. Any other... You know, a <laughs> McDonald's employee who serves you a freaking whopper. Like a human you know, hand. Human hand, whatever. Like, anyone else is fired. Mm. Yeah. Now, th- I mean, this guy specifically, he didn't have the sketch in his hand. Like, he's just one cop that's trying to fucking do the best he can. He's trying to say, solve that fucking murder. And to be fair, the cops in Niagara, I mean, they did better than the cops in Toronto did. They did their level best in the investigation of the Leslie Mahaf- Mahaffey's yeah, the, uh, death and dismemberment. The they Browns are doing up. better than the Jaguars. They both fucking suck. <laughs> I mean, what are we even doing here? Congratulations. Uh, I don't uh, know. Yeah, they did their job. Is uh, that what we're supposed to do now, man? You're supposed to congratulate someone just for doing their base job. Yeah. Well, they determined that the cement blocks had been made using quick mix, and they even traced the cement to the correct beaver lumber outlet. Do okay. you have an idea how many beaver lumbers there are in Canada? <laughs> I, don't I think there's literally know. I don't even want to know. Two million beaver lumbers. <laughs> wow. But since Paul had been paid in cash, the cops hit a dead end. And I don't know. What about the jackass that delivered a return 12 of the fucking things? Oh, well, he's taking, we went to go talk to him and he was taking a nap. <laughs> so we didn't want to wake him up. You know how hard it is to catch a nap these days. Tell uh, me. I, you're <laughs> sleeping right now. Oh, sorry. No, I have narcolepsy. Yeah. Oh, is that right? <laughs> that might explain the lack of work. More like narcocopsy. <laughs> Whatever. Go do something else. All right. Um, I'll go play pinball. God damn it. You gave me permission. <laughs> Quit being a cop. I'm saying. Quit being a cop. No, I mean, I don't know here whose fault this is. It might have been that the cops just talked to the guys and like, oh, he paid cash. Ah, fuck. Okay, sorry. We're not going to catch that guy. They might Don't even just tell not- me what he looks like. Yeah. <laughs> don't even tell me. I don't even want to hear it. Oh, no, you're starting to yeah. talk. That sounds almost like a lead. Wait we don't second. want no, a lead. No, no, no. You're uh, being nosy. Telling and, me what he looks like, a police officer. But it could also be that the guys at Beaver Lumber didn't have the best memories. They I might not have been. They might hammered. not have been able to. Like I don't know. Some guy came. You're and looking he bought- at two, five people all not doing their job. It's like all five people. Are like, ah, well, well, wood, huh? You'd be like, Dude, yeah, that's some of what we sell. You know, Beaver Lumber actually oh, kind of denies the fact that sometimes we sell tile. And I mean, I'm, we closed four hours ago because I'm very hungry. We all know lumber people never forget. I don't know, man. I mean, I still, I always think of that mall that we wandered into in Toronto mm. that was, I think, the worst constructed building I've ever been in my <laughs> entire life. Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember what you're talking about. It was about. like the most haphazard, lazily constructed thing I've ever seen. Nothing made sense. Everything was fucked up. And it was supposed to be the nicest fucking neighborhood in the entire city. It's part of the fun. It's a part of the fun. You're supposed to be confused. You're traveling. <laughs> But with a seeming dead end with the concrete, cops focused on the black paint and determined that it was a kind used mostly to paint engines and motors. They were correct in this. It was. It was industrial paint. Eventually, they linked the paint 
to a steel mill, which employed a sexual deviant named Jonathan Yeo. I did not do these crimes. <laughs> Yeo had his own problems, though. He yeah. killed himself after failing to pass through U.S. Customs following the disappearance of a teenager in Burlington. Okay. Which Yeo might have had something to do with that. He might have it. He no. might have. You know, we don't know. He's gone now. So, mm -hmm. but, but hey, as luck would have it, though, Yeo lived right next door to another suspect in the Mahaffey case. How good is that luck? That it just That's happened amazing. to be a guy next door. That was a man named John Peter Stark. John Peter Stark was also suspected of murdering his daughter's best friend. Stark unfortunately fled as well. And the cops were back to square one. Yeah, we're not even going to look for him. There's so many ways to. But honestly, he ran and I am tired. Yeah, I can't I be know. running all over the place again. There's the Timmy shortage. I know. Someone that. saw a moose. And I just got to go look at it myself. <laughs> you're you're going to want to see I the moose. I have to look at it. No one can see a moose alone. It's yeah, bad it's luck. It's not the smallest moose. It's not the biggest moose. It's a mid-sized moose. It's just a moose. Yeah, you'll love that. And honestly, when I went up there, humble mute moose. we went up there to go take a look at this moose. You wouldn't even fucking believe it. What it happened? was just a deer with a bunch of tumors on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, so oh, then I shot it in the head. I see. Yeah, it was fun. Oh, Got to use this gun for something. Thanks for solving all the uh, murders and everything else. Was there a murder? Yeah, there's been a couple. <laughs> So with the cops chasing their tails, Carla and Paul return to a past victim, namely Jane from Number One Pet Center. See, Halcyon and Halothane are like most other date rape drugs in that the victim often doesn't remember what happened. And so Jane didn't remember what had happened to her the last time she hung out with Paul and Carla. And since she was only 15 and they were in their 20s, Jane probably trusted them a lot more than she should have. On August 10th, 1991, Carla and Paul overdid the halothane again. Jane stopped breathing. They almost killed her. They called 911, but when Bernardo got Jane breathing again before the ambulance arrived, Carla called them back to cancel the request. Now, usually... It can't even fucking, like an Uber Eats. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I seriously do. It's like an Uber, honestly. And, they, and they, you know these ambulance drivers be like, well, we're either canceling. Great. <laughs> thank God. It's, thank God. I got to go return yeah. a videotape. You know yeah, they charge usually, you if you're late. Yeah, and it's uh, actually due in two days, so oh, I better get over there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Now, usually emergency crews can't be canceled. They just <laughs> show up. It's not any different in Canada as it is in America. You call an ambulance, it comes. But this time, guess the crew just didn't feel like it. Yeah, so it's Paul a Friday. Yeah. Is, I've yeah. been doing this all week, yeah. since Wednesday. I've been yeah, working. That's only, that's only two days. But. Yeah, man, two full eight-hour shifts a day. <laughs> All right. So Paul and Carla were able to continue their nauseating crimes. Ugh. Now, one thing we mentioned in the first episode was DNA. And as I said, this was early days in the technology. And the turnaround on a sample was massive because Canada had to send their samples to the United States for testing. So it took forever for the lab to compare the samples taken from the Scarborough rape scenes to the samples they'd taken from possible suspects. Eventually, more than a year later, the lab was able to narrow it down to five possible matches. One of those samples belonged to Paul Bernardo. Oh, right. We're getting there. We're getting there. Because Paul had given a sample of his own free will back when he was questioned. I think partly because he was arrogant and yep. partly because he probably didn't understand DNA, yep. what it was, what he, he was given a sample to. He sure. really did believe, like what people talk about with Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street and all that kind of shit, the idea of being a master of your own universe. I do think that he believed he had total control and there's no way anybody would catch him. Mm. And that was also partly why the cops 
were so enamored with them. Like, well, he gave right. us the sample. No one who actually did the crime would ever give us a sample. Nobody with a flow like Paul Haas <laughs> could ever be guilty of a crime. No street poet like Paul Bernardo could ever lie. Well, I don't understand why they're taking samples in the first place. If they assume that anyone who gives a sample is innocent, then why are they taking samples? Because we have all these tubes. They have tubes. We have all these tubes. You got to do something with the tubes and the wipes. We got to use all these wipes. And the funny thing is with the Q-tip, it's actually not for your ear. No, it's for (laughs) rape. It's for DNA. It's for DNA samples. But as the net was beginning to fall around Paul very slowly for his crimes in Scarborough. Yeah, very slowly. Police were trying and failing to form a profile for the person or persons responsible for the murder of Leslie Mahaffey. Just cut to them arresting Ice Ice Baby. (laughs) I didn't didn't do it. Now, the cops didn't do a terrible job with their profile, but they only got about a quarter of the way there, which I say quarter of the way is better than none. They at least they, were doing something. Yeah. yeah. But, again, they, they just. They did guess that two people were involved, and they did guess that murder was secondary to the sexual crimes, but they had uh, about three other assumptions that were completely wrong. Great. They assumed that the killers were familiar with Lake Gibson. They weren't. They assumed that they were abusing drugs and alcohol. They weren't. They were using drugs, but I would know if they would, like, say, abusing them. They weren't like I don't junkies. Think so. No, 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 no. They weren't abusing. They were just, they were casual users. Yeah, not like, and they, they, weren't, they weren't on Hastings, East Hastings Street, you know what I'm no, saying? No, 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 no. They had nice Canadian reference there. Thank you. Um, and they also assumed that it was two men. Sure. And that where they were completely wrong as well. I don't even blame them on that one because it does seem to be, it, you would think, this is, yeah. that's why it's very unusual. Right. Where after, I mean, this is post-Hillside Stranglers. There yeah. have been plenty of- Chicago you know, Rippers. Double, yeah, there, there have been plenty of them. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, perhaps unsurprisingly, the police would not have any role whatsoever in catching Paul and Carla for the murders. Oh, my God. They wouldn't put that together until it was put together for them. And it's with that confession that we'll end our series on Paul Bernardo <sighs> and Carla Hamolka. Next week, well, man, this is, we're uh, going to go to the heart of the female beast. We're going to talk a little bit more about Carla Homolka and her idea of street justice. Mm-hmm. Also, we might talk a little bit about how Paul Bernardo is also a failed author. Yeah. Um, and I've been trying to find his book everywhere. Yeah. I haven't been it's able to find, to find it anywhere. These. It's hard to find it. Um, there and, and a little bit more of what it's like to be in the fucking center of the Canadian media's attention. All right, mm-hmm. super cops, they are not. We will let you know what happens. Well, I think we all kind of know the conclusion here, but uh, the gritty details, we'll talk about them on the next episode. A disgusting episode. These people are, in my mind, like Charles Ng and Leonard Lake. These people are just absolutely disgusting. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, be very careful out there, out there, who you trust. Because uh, you especially not married couples. Yeah, I, I guess this not. Week, this is a good. This is a good week to interrogate your married friends. And there's just no yeah. reason you look at them and it's just like they. There's just no reason for them to do. it. They just did this. They just. Well, yeah, they're yeah. monsters. To, they're just oh, yeah. sexual sadists. Yeah, yeah and horrible. if you're single out there and you have a married couple approach you at the bar telling you how they like your vibe. And they maybe want you to maybe well, go back to our place. Nice I mean, I don't know, man. I don't think nothing good comes of that. 
Sometimes well, you just sometimes. gotta suck the guy's dick first. <laughs> get him like done. Like you know whatever yeah. it is. Get him done. Get the get man done well, or with the, the majority. Okay. okay. And then you build up to the second come because I think the second come is where you get a rational man. You get a person in there who's mm. re, who's in the pocket. You somebody know, you can reason you with. You know so yeah. much yeah. about the swingers' lifestyle. I know how it is, man. <laughs> you know how Clits it is. at the top, butts in the back. back yeah. <laughs> get the phone number of your local police. We can call them directly at a desk. Very get a detective. Sure. Get just of course. Let a friend know if you're going to go bang a couple. Let them know where you're at. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, again, be safe and um, watch out for the warning signs. Um, also, uh, guys, Springfield Jack Coffee. Yeah. You Another this perfect muffin, time to plug it. This, this You've the been time. nailing the plugs. I've really been crushing it. Get that coffee. It's absolutely delicious. Drink yeah. the cold brew all week. Shit my brains out. Absolutely. Loving every fucking minute of it. Soul Plumber, thank you so much for purchasing it. When is book two coming out? Uh, I don't know. Fuck well, yeah. but um, expect uh, but book two. We'll, we'll let you know as soon as it comes out. About two and a half weeks. November. Weeks. Yeah, yeah. Mid November. If you got the first issue, like if you're if you're brand new to comic books, what you got to do when you go to the comic book stores, you got to start a pull list. Well, you got to do it there. Basically. Honestly, ha- what you want to do is you want to get into that local and you want to you want to really ask for it. Yeah, yeah pull us. No, get, it's a, basically just a subscription and tell your your store that you want Soul Plumber in there every single month. And if you missed the first printing, we're gonna have a second printing uh, that's gonna be out, I believe, November nineteenth or maybe November twelfth, yes. something like that. We'll let you know exactly uh, when that's gonna be, but you need to order that. Now, you need to get talk to your call your local comic book store or go by there and order it now to make sure you get yourself uh, to make sure you get hands on a copy and then reserve issues two through six while you're at it. Because Woo. due to a misprint, it is not five issues as it's it six. says on the variant. It is six. It is absolutely six. six. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Hope you're doing well out there. Keep on supporting everything here with the last podcast network. Our whole family is doing good. And do we have anything else? Support our weed line. We're at Roots over here in L.A. Weed and in San Diego. Uh, weed in San Diego. Higher Path in Sherman Oaks. And uh, we're excited. We're going to get into the flower game at some point. And do we have anything else? We'll see you all on the road, but that's not going to be until early November. Mm-hmm. I think we're good. All no right, Dungeons Space Season 2 coming up. Uh, it's actually here. No, it's here. It's uh, here. Yeah, episode right two. now, we should have uh, episode two. We'll be out of uh, the Velvet Underground where... We talk about John Cale and the avant-garde scene, and surprisingly, oh. it is one of the best episodes I think we've ever done. So well, yeah. Also, Deep Hell Dive's yeah. Dune is coming back with our review of um, the new Dune film, which we mm. will talk about, which I have been mum about. Yes, you have, but you did like to it. Talk about it. I, I want to save all my takes. Hmm. You have to listen to it. On the episode to get them. <laughs> I hate when you're peak nerd. <laughs> um, all right, you know what? Uh, you all you all know the other shows here. So thank you all so much for supporting us. We want to support you as much as we can as well. So tag me on Instagram or whatever if you have any Etsy work or whatever you want. Uh, we'll try to uh, help you out with a, whatever small business you got. Okay, everyone, hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. Magusolations. Hail me there, eh? Will you give me a bit of a hail there, eh? This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah!